0: Oh, Father God, we are so grateful to gather together as your people to worship you in song uh, and and to worship you by by coming to your word uh, and and learning from it, hearing from it. Um, God, I pray that your word this morning would change our hearts. Every single person in this room, God, uh, me especially, would you change our hearts, God, and, and center them on you. And uh, have away from all the other things that we have placed importance on. God, I pray you would work powerfully through the word and through the message this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please have a seat? It's one of my favorite passages in, in the Gospels. And it begs the question: why is Jesus so mad? Right? Why is he so upset? He walks in, we, we envision in our minds, I think most of us, gentle Jesus, lowly Jesus, holy Jesus, sensitive Jesus, right? He just, verses earlier, let the children come to me. For theirs is the kingdom. Like, he, he's so gentle, he's so kind, he's so polite. And I think often we, we view Jesus as only those things, and we miss... Something huge like this, he walks into the temple and he starts flipping tables up. He's running people off. Brandon Haverland, uh, Pastor Brandon, who's who's preaching out in Silverton this morning, we were talking about this passage a little bit last night and he made this great comparison. This is like this, the Oregon State Fair. Quick show of hands. Have you been to the state fair? Right? Okay, most of us, yeah. And and you've got like the, the whole like marketplace area, you've got food vendors and you've got people selling. Like cap guns and and like helicopter things and things that glow. I don't even know. We try to get around that stuff because the kids want it all and it's like just keep walking right. But there's people everywhere. There's lines everywhere. There's tables and tents and money being exchanged and and all this stuff. Imagine one man walking in there, starts flipping tables and saying, "This is outrageous! Ten dollars for a corn dog? Out of here!" He starts throwing over tents and tables, running people off. And it says he cleared the temple. One man, imagine this scene where one man clears the state fair and there's just, there's nothing. There's no animals, there's no people, there's no vendors, there's no corn docks. It's just barren. And there's Jesus standing in the middle. I just, I can only imagine he worked up a sweat. He's maybe breathing. And just everything's gone like, Oh my goodness, totally reminds me of a story. Uh, w- when I was in, in uh, uh, a shop class, I, I was really big in a shop class in middle school. I loved building stuff. And my, my shop teacher, uh, when, when he was brought in my, you know, my first year, he didn't actually know, he, he wasn't a teacher, didn't know anything about teaching. Didn't really know anything about uh, shop class. He said uh, his only prereq- prerequisite for this position is that in high school, he took a shop class Like, sweet, this is going to be an awesome teacher. We're not doing anything this year. Uh, But he was really cool, and I I enjoy working with my hands. And so, like, we kind of connected, you know, and, and, you know, I felt like I was kind of his favorite student or whatever. And uh, I'd get to work on extra projects and stuff. Well, I was out of the classroom one time. The rest of the class was just hooligans, like nail gun fights and, like, all kinds of, like, yeah, just... Shenanigans, Things I, I probably shouldn't even mention from stage. Terrible things happened in that class. Anyway, uh, I was in the band room. I was building like a, a, a rolling case uh, for the band. So I was in there like measuring some stuff. And my buddy comes running and he goes, Brian, you got to get back to shop class. I'm like, why? What's going on? He goes, uh, the teacher, he lost it. <laughs> right? What do you mean he lost it? I go running back to the class. And all the kids are scattered against the back wall of the classroom. And in the shop, there's splintered wood everywhere. And here's my shop teacher with a hammer in each hand, breathing heavy, uh, 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 uh. and I look up, I'm like, what happened? And he looks at me and he goes, somebody broke my thumb piano. And that was it. <laughs> he, I don't know. It's crazy, crazy situation. Anyway, I just envision a little bit, this is, this is my envision of Jesus in the middle of the temple. Everyone's cleared out. Everything's gone. There's like splinters of wood, tables, animals everywhere, whatever. And here's Jesus in the middle, he has cleared this place out. Why is he so mad? What, what pushes Jesus, gentle Jesus, lowly Jesus over the top so that he is so upset? Well, that's what I'm gonna tell you about. Uh, he's so mad because uh, there's, there's a, a system here, there's this temple system, with, and in it you've, you've got priests and, and you have prophets you have the, the temple and you have sacrifices and everything is set up in such a way that, that everyone is okay with the way things are going, right? Everything, Everyone's okay with what's happening and, and it's just, it's happening that way because it's the way it always happens. But is it according to God's design? Is it the way God meant for this to happen? The people were heavy burdened. Is, is that the way it was supposed to be? And I would... Say no. That's that's why he's so upset. This this system in the temple, this system of, of sacrifices, was meant to show us something. It was meant to to point us to God. It was meant to bring us uh, closer to God, and it was doing the opposite. These these priests were not were not standing as intermediaries between God and men. They were actually getting in the way. They the 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 prophets. Uh, so there, there's a, a phrase, if you've been around Christianity for some time, or if you've gone to Christian college, maybe you've heard this, uh, but, but Jesus is the perfect prophet, priest, and king. Uh, maybe you've heard this before, maybe not. This is new information. That's great too. Uh, in, in, for the people of Israel, if we go back to the Old Testament, there are, there are three distinct roles that we have that, that lead the people. We have prophets, priests, and kings, right? The, the king uh, of the nation is supposed to be uh, protecting and providing for the people, watching over them. Uh, you, you have the, the priests that stand between God and man that should be uh, atoning for the sins of men uh, through, through the temple and sacrifice system. And you have prophets who, who are declaring the words of God. The, the prophet is the one who God speaks through to deliver his word, to, to, to provide course corrections when his people are getting off. Right? And, and so there's prophet, priests, and kings throughout all of the Old Testament, or much of it. We have prophets, priests, and kings. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, he is the perfect prophet. He is the perfect priest. He is the perfect king. He fulfills not one, but all three of those roles so perfectly and so completely that we no longer need prophets, priests, and kings. And I would add to that that, that this passage shows us Jesus as prophet, as priest, as king, but it also shows him as temple and as sacrifice. So we have prophet, priest, king, temple, and sacrifice all being fulfilled in this one passage as we see Jesus getting so upset that he's turning over tables and he's running people off. Now, in, in order to fully understand this, I would say that we, we need to just pick up a little bit of the history. I'm not gonna go into a history lesson here, but I do, for, for those of you who are, are newer, maybe less familiar with the Old Testament, I just want to pick up a, a little bit of brief history here that, that God creates man, right? And we live in perfect harmony with God. That, that, that Adam and Eve walk with God in the cool of the day in the garden. Things are perfect uh, and, and as they should be. But Adam and Eve choose to follow their own path, not God's. They choose to rebel against God. They choose to be their own gods. And they reject God the God who made them. We call that the fall. It's in Genesis chapter 3. I encourage you to read it. Uh, It's tragic. And from that moment forward, all of creation is broken. From that moment forward, everything doesn't quite work right. Not only for mankind, but all of the earth. All of the earth feels the pains of that fall, that decision to be our own gods and and to walk away from God. And from that moment forward, Genesis 3, forward. In fact, even at the end of Genesis 3, God promises to restore relationship with people. He promises even in Genesis 3 that he's going to send Jesus to restore this relationship between him and the people he made. And then much of the Old Testament is a fulfilling of that. In fact, God continues to add through the prophets, through the priests, and through the kings, further clarity as to who this person would be that would, that would put all things right that would fix relationship with God and man. And our problem today, you and I, right here in this room, the problem we have is our relationship with God is still broken. We are not right with God. Even the most holy and righteous and religious among us is far too broken to be acceptable to God. We are alienated from Him. We are distant from Him. We need that relationship set right. And all of the the, the, the Old Testament, the prophets, the priests, and the kings point to a day when this would be fulfilled, that this would be satisfied. And in fact, God chooses a family, Abraham. He chooses his sons, which become the nation of Israel. Through that nation, he's promising that the one that I'm bringing to, to fix all things is coming. He's coming through this uh, through this people. and And... While God is protecting and setting apart his people, setting the stage for Jesus to come, one of the things he does is he says, uh, I rescued you from, from Egypt, without going into all that history, he rescues his people from slavery, he sets up a festival called Passover, which is the festival that Jesus is, is at in the temple. This is the, the Passover feast, this is the Passover festival that, that's happening, people are traveling from all over the countryside, to come to Israel to celebrate Passover. And the focal point of all of that is the temple. God establishes the temple. This is the place where man will meet with God. This is the place where you will come and sacrifice animals in just such a way that the priests will administer, that the prophets will tell you about. All of this will come to this point. And I tell you all of this background and this history because it's significant to know that that Jesus here is, is at the last Passover, in many ways, this is the last Passover, where where the first Passover that happened m- so many years ago was pointing to this moment. the The priests were pointing to this moment. the The, the altar, the sacrifices, the animals that died, all coming to this point uh, where Jesus is now standing in the middle of the temple. Uh, all of this is coming to fulfillment at this point in this moment. It's it's like. The, this, this story has been building and building, and we're at this pinnacle moment for the people of Israel. Here we are at the Passover feast. Here we are at, 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 with all of these people gathered around. And here in the temple, we have Jesus standing and teaching. So let, let me point out first and foremost that, that Jesus is the real king. He's the, the fulfillment of the kings of old. Right? He's, he's not just a king, he's the king. And in fact, if you remember last week's message that Pastor Matt taught, uh, Jesus kind of forces this point as he rides into town on the donkey, he forces this point that, that he is the king. He is the ultimate fulfillment of what all the kings pointed to in the Old Testament. He is, he is coming in power and authority. In a sense, he says, he says this phrase, which I found so, so powerful, crown me or kill me but you cannot remain indifferent. As king, he says, crown me or kill me. I will be the ultimate authority or, or you can kill me on the cross, which ultimately is what happens. But you cannot remain indifferent to me. And the, the, that same choice is put to us today. Do we crown Jesus or do we kill him? Do we believe him and what he says or do we disregard him Entirely. We have to make that choice. Crown me or kill me, but you cannot remain indifferent to me. Jesus' authority as king is on display when he comes in and he says, uh, you, you have turned this house of prayer into a, a den of robbers, right? And as he's flipping over this table, uh, or these tables, clearing out all of the temple, what do we have but, but a king in his power and authority? Why, why did no one stop him? I don't think they could. How, how does one man clear out all of the temple? Because the real king has arrived. The one with all authority is here. And I think on a deep level they can sense it. And no one dares stand in the way of a king in his wrath. The real king is here. Crown me. And many do. Many believe. Many look at that and say, that's the one. He's the one we've been waiting for. Crown me or kill me. And many do. The Pharisees plot, and we'll see in in the coming pages as as they they bring their their plan to fruition and ultimately kill Jesus. Crown me or kill me, but you cannot remain indifferent. He's the real priest. He's the only one. Jesus is the only one that that can stand between God and man. He's the only one that can be the, the intermediary. He's the only one who can bring our requests to God. He's the only one that can atone for our sins as a priest would do. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There is one priest and in fact, one of the, one of the roles of, of the priest is the uh, kind of the, what we would call maybe the pastoral ministry, the care of the people, praying for them and, 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 and taking good care of them. And we see from Matthew's account of the same story that, that Jesus is in the temple performing many healings. The blind and the lame are coming to him and they're, they're walking away healed and fixed. This is the role of the priest. The priest that, that not only prays For them, but also has the power to heal them directly. We have the ultimate priest in Jesus who stands between man and God. We see that happening. And and we see that Jesus is the priest for all people, right? The priests of that day had seen their role as intermediaries, but only for the people of Israel, only for the the chosen people, the Jews and, and no one else. And one of the reasons Jesus was so angry is this whole charade of buying and selling animals and money changing and all this is happening in what we call the court of Gentiles. So the temple was set up so you had the holy of holies, the most holy place. Only the high priest can go in there and only once a year. And then you have the holy place, and then you have the court of the priests, and then you have the the court of the uh, Israelites, and and the court for women, and then you go all the way out here to the edge, all the way out on the fringes, and there's the court of the Gentiles. This is supposed to be a place where people, by the way, the court of the Gentiles is the largest of the courts. They get progressively smaller as you go in. The court of the Gentiles is huge, and this is for people who are not Israelites, who are not God's people, who are not Christians, who are not believers, to come. And and meet with God. This is a place for the curious, for the outsider, for the non-believer to come and learn about God and hear from God. Well, where do they put this marketplace where they're buying and selling animals uh, and, and changing money? We've got money exchange going on and, and the temple tax and all these ways to burden the people with expense. This is big business going on. Where do they put that? Well, not in the Holy of Holies, not in the court of the Israelites. We'll take the court of the Gentiles. We're not doing anything else with that space. Right And effectively what they have done is they have pushed out the people that are not special, not chosen, right? Not, not the Israelites. Where would they go and meet with God? This place of evangelism, what does it become? It's become a flea market. You see why Jesus might be so angry and so upset? He has love and care for all people. And that's not a New Testament idea. It's through all of the Old Testament. God cares for Not just the Israelites, but all people. And story after story after story in the Old Testament, we see people from outside of God's chosen family coming and joining, people placing their faith in God and following Him, Yahweh. It should be open to the Gentiles, and instead they have closed it off and made it a flea market. And then where does the Gentile come to learn about God? I don't think they do. I don't think they do. It had become closed off. And so we see Jesus, the real priest, caring for not just the Israelites, but caring for the Gentiles, caring for the non-Jew. That's good news for most of us. I don't know how many people are Jewish by descent, right? But I'm not. I'm glad that Jesus cares for the Gentile. that he cleared out the court of the Gentiles so we could come and meet with him again. That's the real priest doing his work. And we see, in, in fact, Matthew's account tells us that the priests were indignant, the priests who are working in the temple are furious. They're jealous. They're outraged at what is happening. Why are they upset? Well, their job is becoming obsolete. Right? Their job's becoming obsolete. We aren't going to need priests to stand between God and man anymore because Jesus is here, the perfect priest. Jesus is here who is forever our high priest and their whole job it's being made obsolete. Imagine working at, anybody know about Flippy? The, the, no, it's blank stairs. Okay. It's a thing, it's a thing. It's, the, ro- it's the, the robot that flips hamburgers. It's a real thing in restaurants right now. It's like, this is happening. All right? We are being replaced by robots, people. Wake up. You got to know this. Uh, Flippy makes, he flips hamburgers, uh, and, and he's replacing people in the kitchen. Just this, is, you know, you're, you're a, a burger flipper. And then your, your boss comes along and says, hey, meet your new uh, co-worker. What's this? Oh, this is a robot that flips like a hundred billion burgers a minute. Like, oh, and uh, what am I gonna do? Well, uh, we probably aren't gonna need you anymore, right? Your job is now absol- uh, obsolete. If a robot can flip a million burgers a minute or, or whatever, Burger flippers are not needed. They've become obsolete. And imagine standing in that place where you realize, I'm not needed. This is what's happening to the priest. That was a stupid story. All right, this is (laughs) is what's happening to the priest. I try, you know? Uh, Like, their job is becoming obsolete. They are jealous. They are offended. And they want no part of it. Things are working fine the way that it is. They have a place of importance and significance. If they were truly concerned, as a priest should be, truly concerned for the good of the people, this is the best possible thing that could happen priests are supposed to be uh, kind of watching the house until the master comes, but they've gotten really comfortable, really comfortable. And when the master comes to take back over, they lose their position and they'd rather things just keep going the way that they are. They're offended. Jesus is king. He's priest. And he is the only one who can tell the truth. Jesus is prophet. The the role of a prophet is to be a truth teller, to bring the words of God, which is truth, and, and, and bring it to men, bring it to people. And Jesus is not just a prophet who takes God's words and delivers them to the people, but what does the Bible tell us about Jesus? John 1.15 says, the word has become flesh. And it goes on to say, He is full of grace and truth. Jesus is the word of God become flesh. Who was giving the words to the prophets to deliver to the people? Jesus was. He is the word of God. We don't need a prophet to stand in the middle anymore. Jesus is fulfilling that. He is completing that. The prophets were there taking taking a place for a moment in time To deliver God's words. But now God has arrived on the scene. He says, I've got it from here. And he's delivering grace and truth. Not marred by or tainted by human, uh, you know, preference or, or, you know, anything, any corruption. But we have the, the purest form of God's word speaking directly to the people. And in fact, Jesus sets up in the temple and he teaches all week long. He's delivering the words of God to the people. He is the real prophet. Now we have, uh, we've covered prophet, priest, and king, which is probably familiar to many of you, but I'm adding in temple and sacrifice. Prophet, priest, and king, Jesus is also the real temple. You see, the temple is a place where Man comes to meet with God. And who is Jesus? Jesus is God coming to meet with man. He's not just a temple, but he's better than the temple. This is not a place where man goes to meet with God. This is where God comes and meets with man. Jesus is the embodiment of the temple, People mistakenly thought at that time, and I think we still mis- mis- mistake this sometimes. We think of church buildings this way, uh, which, which is an error, uh, maybe less likely for us at, at Outward. Praise God, we, we meet in, a, in a, like a lumber yard, right? I, I remember as a kid shopping for tools with my dad right back there, uh, right, right on the stage. It, it's an honor for me to play drums in like a tool aisle. That's cool, all right? This is like, whew, this is all coming together for me. Uh, right? So, but, you know, we, we often hold church buildings in high esteem. They held the temple in high esteem, uh, that, that this is a, a special place. And mistakenly, they thought, this is the only place where God is. We make this pilgrimage. We come to worship God, to offer sacrifices. Yes, it was a place to come and, and worship God. It was a place where God would, would, Uh, make himself known and present in the holy of holies. But to think that's the only place where God is, is to severely underestimate who God is and what God is. He is not confined to a building. He was not confined to a building then. He is not confined to a building now. There is nothing inherently special about this building. In fact, there's nothing inherently special about the temple building Um, that Jesus references uh, Jeremiah 7, uh, and, and when he says, uh, you've turned it into a den of robbers, and in Jeremiah 7, if you read that whole chapter, he, he kind of says, you know, you're placing too much significance on the temple building. It's not that special. What I want is your heart's. I don't want you to, to come and, and look really holy while you're at the temple and then go live these lives where you're worshiping other gods, where you're worshiping yourself, where you're living any way you want, you're rejecting me and my laws and my relationship. Don't do that. I care more for your heart than the building. And, and this is exactly what's happening in Jesus' day. They, they, they mistakenly thought that the temple was the special place, the only place And it is a special place, but but mistakenly thought this is the only place where God is. But God is everywhere. God is in all time, in all places, everywhere. And and Jesus shows that as as God becomes man, uh, as as Jesus puts on flesh and walks among us, He is not confined to the temple. He's all over the place. He's doing things all over. And in fact, um, we can we can even then leap and make the mistake that that only where Jesus is is where God is. But but. Let's make sure we understand God is hes everywhere. He is omnipresent, right, uh, through all time and space. Uh, and, and what he does not want from us is when we come to the church or when we go to the temple in their day, we, we gather together, we sing some songs, some great songs, we hear some preaching, we maybe do a little bit of praying, and then we go on about our lives and reject everything that God's about and as long as we come back next Sunday, everything's good. He doesn't want church attendance. He wants your heart. He doesn't want even just, he doesn't want obedience. He doesn't want you to become a better person. He wants your heart. He doesn't want you to be a better singer or to sing louder or, or to, to pray more. He wants your heart. You cannot give God your heart only on Sunday mornings. You cannot. You cannot. You cannot give God your heart only by going to the temple once a year. It doesn't work that way. That's not what he's after. He's after your heart. He's after your everything. He's after just complete surrender to him. Now, if I surrender to Jesus, if I follow Jesus, if I say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want you to be king and prophet and priest and temple in my life. Will I go to church on Sundays? Yes. When else can I gather with so many of God's people who are like-minded? Will I sing praise and worship songs? Yes, because there's so much to praise him for. Will I leave behind sin and pursue holiness? Yes. Why would I want to do things that are against the one that I love? When you get married, do you change your behaviors? Yes, you start hanging out with your spouse more and hanging out with other people less. You, you start spending time, you start doing the things that your spouse has an interest in. Right, You're giving them their, your, your whole heart and it changes behavior, it changes actions, it changes priorities and it's the same thing. That's what God's after. He's after our hearts. Jesus is the temple. In fact, in other places in scripture, we see that, that we become a part of the temple. When we follow Jesus, we are like living stones being built up together. Jesus is the cornerstone, he's the foundation, he is, he is the, the head of the temple, we become a part of it. And does that exist only in a building? No, that exists everywhere. Everywhere that God's people are, there is the temple. Where do people get to meet Jesus? In a building? No, at your workplace, where you are. You are a part of the temple. Jesus is the head. You is the living stones. In that place, and you're hanging out with somebody at work, and you get to tell them about Jesus, that's no different than if they went to the temple. Isn't that cool? Isn't this incredible? You you can be out at a restaurant, talking to the waiter, or talking to the waitress, and the temple is there. The temple is in like the steakhouse, Roadhouse Steakhouse. There's a temple there, and people get to meet Jesus, and it's incredible. This is awesome. Jesus is the temple. He's the head of the temple. We are a part of that, and he is the fulfillment of what that whole system pointed to. This was so disruptive at the time that uh, uh, Tim Keller points out that every religion at this time had a temple system to mediate between god or gods plural and man Christianity was the first to have a templeless sacrificeless priestless access to god Christianity was the first every religion in that time you, you had to go to a temple. There was a whole system, sacrifices, priests, and everything. And Christianity does away with that. And in fact, history tells us uh, that early Christians, the first uh, two or 300 years of Christianity, uh, the, the Romans accused Christians of being atheists because of their rejection of what, what everyone understood of as religion. What Christians were doing didn't make any sense. It didn't look like any religion. There was no temple. There's no sacrifices. There's no, no priest. What, what is going on? I guess they're atheists, which, by the way, was, was punishable by death. Many Christians died as atheists. Isn't that cool? We've got so much in common with atheists. It's so cool. Uh, Christians were accused of being atheists because of their understanding of this rejection of a temple system and, and all of these things. And not really a rejection, but seeing that it's fulfilled right? Seeing that it was fulfilled. It, it was a time, right, when, as we're growing up as kids, we, we have rules and boundaries. Our parents, if they love us and, and care for us, they, they help us out by putting some boundaries around our life. And, and you know, a, a system in which we, we work and grow up. This is how we are obedient to our parents. But there comes a time where we move out of the house, where we mature, we grow up. And what happened is the temple system has, has matured and grown up. We no longer need uh, a, a temple building to go and, and mediate between God and man, but, uh, but we've moved past that. Jesus fulfills that. So Jesus is, is prophet, priest, king, he's temple, and finally he is sacrifice. He's the only way to pay God what we owe. Jesus is the only way to render payment to the God that we owe for our sin. And and what is sin? It's it's anything that is against God. It's it's rebellion. It's any time that I place myself ahead of God. Any time I get my priorities and, and anything above the one who created me, right? This is sin. Sin is a broad category. There's a lot of things there. And and for every sin I owe God a debt. And what is the the penalty of debt? What is the cost of that debt? Well, the wages of sin are death right? When I sin and rebel against God, I owe him death. I have to pay him some way. Well, the sacrifice was the way in which you would uh, pay for, atone for uh, the, the death that you owe. And so God established this system by which when you sin, when you rebel against God, when you make mistakes, when you trust in yourself instead of him, you know you've sinned. You can come to the temple and a priest would sacrifice an animal on your behalf, that the death that I've earned now gets laid on this animal, and the animal dies in my place. Death is owed for sin. That is a very real debt that exists. And we can't get around it. That must be paid and that the sacrifice system was a means by which you could pay not with your own life, but with the life of a perfect, spotless animal. That was the purpose of the sacrifice system. Now, we might note, as we look a little closer at the story and, and what happened here, he entered the temple. He began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers, and he goes on teaching daily. Jesus go in and he clears out the money changers. He clears out the, 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 the dealers who were selling all manner of animals that you could buy. He clears it all out. Where do the animals go? Well, I imagine they went with their keepers right out the doors. Jesus ran off not only the people, not only the money changers, not only the crooks, he ran off the animals. Why? They're not needed anymore. He is the only way that we can pay God for that debt. The animals were a placeholder. The animals pointed us to Jesus. When 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 you had sacrificed the perfect spotless lamb, What was that pointing to? It was Jesus who was called the Lamb. John the Baptizer says, uh, uh, John 1.29, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And in fact, Revelation 17 says, these will wage war against the Lamb and the Lamb will overcome them. Because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called the chosen and faithful. Jesus is the lamb. He clears out the people. He clears out the animals. And standing in the middle of a now empty temple is what? The perfect spotless lamb. The end of it all. No more lambs need to die. Jesus is dying in our place for our sins as our substitute. He will be the lamb that dies on the altar so that no other lamb uh, needs to be killed. He he is so much more precious than a a lamb or an animal which could atone for a a sin or or maybe sins for a time or something like that. Jesus dies and it's once for all. It's done. Jesus pays for all sins of all people in all times. Not just Israelites, but Gentiles as well. Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire sacrificial system. And he says, when you place your faith in me, when you follow me, when you make me prophet, priest, king, temple, and sacrifice in your life, I will pay that debt. I will finish it. I will complete it. You are now made right with God, not because of anything you do, but because of what he did, the work that Jesus did does. He is the perfect Passover lamb. He is the temple. He is the sacrifices. He is the fulfillment of all of these things. Jesus goes to the cross. He doesn't even die on an altar, which I think has like a certain, right, the, the altar is like in a special place in the temple. Jesus doesn't even get that. He's taken outside of town and he's strung up on a cross, and he bleeds out and dies in this horrific, shameful way. He's dying this, this terrible death, which is the, the culmination of, of all of the deaths that we all deserve. But he dies in, in our place. He takes that on himself. He's priest and he's sacrifice. He allows himself to be killed. And then in, our pl- in its place, right, we, we give him our sinfulness and in exchange, he gives us his righteousness. Right now, when we stand before God and we give an account for our lives, we don't have to say, well, I I did this and I I went to church and I gave the THX uh, and and I did, you know, all of these things. I cooked turkey through the middle of the night. God, that's got to earn me something, right? No, we say, I'm here just because of Jesus. Jesus died in my place. He took the sin. He took my penalty. He took all of that and and he laid it up on the cross, and he died with it, and he gives me instead his righteousness. That's what Christianity is. It's our exchanging sin with Jesus and receiving his righteousness. Is that simple. We, we don't need the prophets, the priests, the kings, the temples, the sacrifices. None of that is necessary anymore. We need just Jesus. Isn't that great? Isn't this good news? We just need Jesus. And he takes care of all of the rest of that. We don't need to bring any works. He does it all. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so grateful that you, you come to the earth 2,000 years ago. That you fulfill all of these roles. That, that there's so much that we need. We, we need a king to, to lead us and protect us. We need a prophet to declare your truth to us. We need a priest to, to, to intermediate and to stand between us and you. God, we need a, a temple in which to bring uh, our sacrifices to the altar, and we need a sacrifice to pay the debt. And God, you, you, just, you fulfill all of it, and you just say, come follow me. That's so good. That's so good. Thank you, Jesus, for going willingly to the cross, Thank you, Jesus, for clearing out the temple, for having a righteous anger for our sake, for our benefit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to go to the Lord's table. We're going we're to take communion. And, and it's simply this. Uh, and if the ushers want to start making their way forward, that's great. Uh, and if you want to get up and, and start getting uh, the, the elements as I'm talking, that's, that's great as well. Uh, come on up. Uh, communion is where we take the, the bread and we take the juice which Jesus told us to do when we get together, when we gather together, take these things, and we're gonna do them together here in a second, and remember me, remember his body broken, his blood spilled, The, the bread of course represents the body which was broken on the cross, the juice represents his blood which was spilled, the blood of the new covenant, the new arrangement, the new deal, the new promise that Jesus makes with us fulfilling all of the Old Testament laws, all of the Old Testament sacrifices, all the need for that. Can I grab one of those? Thank you. And Jesus says, when you get together, remember me. So let's take just a moment, reflect on, on your week uh, and, and more than that. Reflect on, on when you have made other things more important than Jesus. Repent of that. Now let's take the bread, his body, let's take it together. Thank you, Jesus. And the juice, his blood.